never even get into the scriptures, and I don't intend to preach a long time, but I do intend to pray with people. We have a dinner fellowship. We're committed to being here together for a few or a couple of hours, hopefully. Not right here, but here in the whole thing. Malachi is what's known as the last prophet of the Old Covenant before a period of 400 years of prophetical silence and the appearance of John the Baptist. He, he both speaks and writes to Israel during the time that the children of Israel have been dispersed to Babylon, captivity of Babylon, returned, began to, they built their city, rebuilt Jerusalem, rebuilt their lives, but in doing so, apathy has crept in. And, and Malachi addresses it. He, he addresses several things in this passage of Scripture, in this, in, the, in this book that bears his name. And here is what I want to just draw your attention to, first in the 13th verse. And we're just going to kind of let this unfold here today. Just let me just, resp- I just want to speak. Because know, know this real quickly before we read this. As I speak, I am speaking to you individually, and I mean that. This is, I believe this is a very specific word. I think there's some things that are going on in marriages, and in, in not only in, in our culture, but in our church family, that you need to hear this word today, okay? And I'm saying that from a pastor who walks with people during the ups and downs of life. And whether it's a 30-year marriage or a 40 or 50 or 60-year that we've celebrated, that's fine. But also, we have gone with people through the trauma of divorce, and separation and difficulties. One thing I want to say this, none of us can undo our past. So we start from today and we build forward. This is not a message about debating about marriage and remarriage, divorce and remarriage. It's not, a mar- it's not about that. It's about just let's deal with who we are today. Let's strengthen what we have, right? Let's strengthen what we have and who we are. So in Malachi, the 13th verse, it says, and this is, and I'm reading from the New King James Version here today, oddly enough. And it says here, and this is, 13th verse, second chapter, this is the second thing that you do. So God is reproving the people of Israel through the prophet. And notice this. He said, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. But it says, but he does not regard the offering anymore. So, for putting it in that context, Israel was coming to the temple. They were bringing the sacrifice, and they were even like showing, you know, expressions with worship, with weeping and crying, going through all the motions. And I mean, we see that in the church. But at the same time, God said, while you're doing all of that at the altar, God said, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I've got a deaf ear to some of that right now because there's, there's something out of balance. There's something out of order. There's, how many know there can be some times in your life when you're just petitioning God and you're doing something and, and, and you just wonder, well, God, why God isn't responding? Maybe he's not responding because there's something out of order in your life that you're not dealing with. And that's just the truth of the matter. Matter of fact, in the context of marriage, to the New Testament church, Peter said that your prayers can be hindered. That passage where it said that men are to honor their wife and things of that nature and recognize them as the weaker vessel physically, he said, if you don't do those things, he said, your prayer can be hindered. So 
we got to take care of the home, marriage, relationship, our spouse. Let's go a little bit further. And so God begins to unfold this, and he's reproving them through the prophet. And he said, God's not receiving this offering. He's not receiving it with goodwill from your hands. You're bringing it to the altar. And he said, God's not receiving it. And so you ask, 14th verse, you ask, for what reason? And then, so God gives answer. He says, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. Now, remember this, most of the Old Testament and a lot of the New was written from a male orientation. It was written primarily to the male. So, reproof or correction often happened to the male. Now, in New Testament application, there's a little bit, and please, when I I say this word, you know that I'm not in agreement with all the unisex things that are going on in America. But there is some measure of unisex application here, male and female, husband and wife, that we're going to make here in just a few moments. So God is saying, said, look, you're, 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 you're dealing, he's reproving them because he said it's between, there's something going on and God is witness to it and it's between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Now, what this means just real quickly for ancient Israel is, is that many of the men were actually arriving at a place so that the wife of their youth, and I know that polygamy was practiced in those days, but not always was it practiced by the common person. Sometimes it was just by those that were, you know, wealthy or those that were like, in, you know, king or something of that nature. But he said, that wife that you married when you were a young man, usually around 20, and the female was usually around 14 in that culture, and as they have aged and life has gone forward, Here's a reproof because God is saying, you're dealing treacherously with the wife that you uh, married in your youth. That word treacherously, let me expound upon it for just a moment. It means this in the Hebrew. It means you're offending her. You're transgressing against her. You're living a deceitful life in front of her. You're unfaithful to her. Now, let me say this. Unfaithfulness does not always mean you're sexually unfaithful. You know, because I read in the New Testament that if a man doesn't provide for those of his household, he is worse than an infidel. So you can be unfaithful and still be sexually chaste, right? So so let's go further with this. It actually can mean fraudulent. So there was fraudulent activity. They simply, he, and, and it was a he, but we're going to kind of put it into the context of they. It was man concerning, it was husband and his wife, but we're going to expand it to us today. The reproof is coming because one member of the relationship was neglecting and living a deceitful life and was using treacherously, is the word that was used in scripture, a fraudulent life of unfaithfulness to the other to the spouse. And so God here then begins to remind the the the, the listener of the purpose of of his covenant and he and he so he goes on. He says, "Let's let's just read this. And that she is your companion." Now I love that. When I looked that word up in the original language, the word companion means your partner, your consort, C O N S O R T, consort. It's actually translated in another context, your fellow or your friend. So what God is reminding here, the people, that your spouse is your friend. Among your relationship. That's one thing that I truly believe that God has blessed Sherry and I over 30 years is that we were friends 
before we were uh, in a relationship together. Of course, we're going way back since I got married at 17. I mean, we were kids. And so, but we were, we were friends when I was, four, we started dating. Oh, my Lord, Jesus. We started dating when I was 15. So, I'm 47. So, you do the math. I've been with Sherry for 32 years of my young, youthful life. But we were friends then. You know what? We're friends today in that sense of companionship, relationship. And, but you got to recognize that your spouse is your partner. They're your companion in life. You know, in the Genesis, the wife was brought to the husband to be helpmate. We still see that. And I know that goes on both sides of the coin, so to speak, where we're giving strength to one another. I don't know if we're valuing that enough in our culture. I don't know if we are appreciating the fact that God took the men. Let me say this. The Bible says that if you find a wife, you have found a good thing. Come on, a good thing. And you've obtained favor of the Lord. And if you will recognize her, and that's that giving honor to her as to the weaker vessel, you'll recognize God sent this special lady into your life. And if you cherish her and, and in that sense, then you are, you're, you're following true that she's your companion. But notice the fourth verse, or not the fourth verse, but in a little bit further in this 14th verse. And she is your wife by covenant, by covenant. I want you to know marriage is not a contract. It's not a license. I know we purchase a marriage license and we sign the marriage license. But in the eyes of God, it's a covenant. And by covenant, it's much more deeper than just the signature on a piece of paper. And it's even beyond the oath. The oath is part of the covenant. I've taught you in days gone by, but a covenant actually means to cut. So let me just take you for a moment because I want husbands and wives to realize that when you stood before God and before a congregation and you made an oath and then later that evening you consummated that marriage together, then what was happening is that you were entering into a covenant, one with the other, where you were uniting your heart, who you are, Two, if we were to go further, he made them one. Two shall be one flesh is what God said in the Genesis. I've shared this in days gone by, but a revelation was given to me, not to me personally, meaning I gleaned it from others that gained the revelation. I've shared it on more than one occasion, but about the consummation of the marriage, just real quickly, I believe in the virtue of a blood covenant because my salvation that I have with God through Christ is the result of a blood covenant. God cut covenant with man through his representative. That man was Christ on the cross. His body is still scarred to this day. He said, Thomas, reach hither your hand, your finger, and touch my hand. Put your hand in my side. His body is still scarred with the marks of covenant today. Are y'all hearing me today? And so I, when I read the Old Testament, I see multiple times of covenant. And I preached in days gone by about David and Jonathan who had a covenant relationship. And most likely what that meant, and I know you as a child, some of you has had kid friends and you did ignorant things like this, but you sliced your hand and you put it together because you'd watch some Western show and you'd saw two Indians put their hands together, and it was a blood covenant. Well, oddly enough, marriage in its simplest, purest form, simplest, purest form, once the marriage is consummated in, in uh, a virginal uh, experience through consummation 
there's actually the breaking of what's known as the hymen in the vaginal lining that releases blood upon the male. And therefore, it brings together two into one flesh. Now, listen, that, that, that may, you know, you may be, if you're hearing that for the first time, you're like, man, that's weird, Pastor Brown. You're talking about that in church. Listen, it ain't weird to me because that shares with me that God brought my wife to me that we would no longer be two. We would be one, one flesh. And so, therefore, when she hurts, I hurt. When she rejoices, I rejoice. When she's honored, I'm honored. Are y'all hearing me? When she's down, I'm down. And if you can live your life and handle each other and recognize this, I'm telling you, it's a great empowering moment as a couple when you just know that we are one flesh. We are not two people working against each other. We are working for one common, are y'all hearing me today? So God is reminding Israel that they are, that their relationship, he's talking to his covenant people and he's saying, not only am I in covenant with you, but he's saying, but you're in covenant with your wife. 15th verse, he said, did not he make them one? having a remnant of the spirit. Now let's look at this a little bit further. He kind of gives an explanation. He said part of the reason why God is exhorting them is in, he says he seeks godly offspring. You know, God was always funneling a lineage or a remnant of godliness through the children of Israel. And I want you to hear this real quickly from a, a, a dad of six children, the Brown family, and you saw its growth. On, on screen in this passage it says God is seeking godly offspring let me say this to you today a godly marriage a godly home will directly affect the faith of your children and I know there are exceptions and I know there are times you do everything right and a child can still rebel and I know that, and I'm not trying to throw a stone, and I'm not trying to say this is bulletproof. But the principle is something that we believe in as a whole. Train up a child and the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And training is not just bringing your children to amplify kids' ministry. It's you living a life of faithfulness before them every day of their lives and exhibiting godliness in the relationship between the husband and the wife. So let me say this, genuine faith that's lived and displayed within the marriage covenant is a living epistle to your children. That even when you're not preaching and daddies preach to their children, yes we do, and we still preach, and it won't stop. So guys and girls on the Brown family, you might as well just accept it. You're all adults. It's not going to stop. But let me say this, more important oftentimes than my verbal preaching is whether or not I'm a living epistle and whether or not they can look at my relationship with their mother and they can see things that's going to mark them and whether or not they be the husband God's called them to be or my daughters become the wives God's called them to be. The constant presence of bitterness, fighting, contention, and strife will create dysfunction in the home. And it will create dysfunction in the lives of the children. Are y'all hearing me today? So we put a lot of effort in youth and children's ministry in our church. We're blessed with people whose hearts, not just our youth pastor or children's pastor, but their staff to help them towards ministering to kids and youth. But many of the kids and youth, in the, for lack of better terms, they didn't have a chance because... They lived in nothing but hell 
and are still living there. Constant. Are y'all hearing me? Contention and strife and badgering. And then sometimes it's volatile and sometimes it's verbal and sometimes it's violent. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so they're really strained and stretched and they don't really know. They don't know some of the things that previous generations know. But let me tell you this. You can make a change. You can determine that in your house, there's going to be peace. You can determine that, listen, you want your children to grow up as olive plants round about your table. You want them to be healthy and whole, strong, uh, young adults, and uh, passing a lineage of faith downward. Well, it starts with moms and dads handling each other the right way and responding to one another the right way. Now, look at this. God, so there's only three verses. We're closing off at the 16th verse. It wasn't going to be long here, so let me just share a couple of things. He said, so God's desiring a godly offspring, and you should too. Amen. Come on, you should too. You should, and it should be your first thing in your heart. Say, God, I'm praying for my children and my children's children. I'm praying the life of faith in them will be awakened and that whatever part that I play as a husband or a wife, a father or a mother, that, God, I'm a living epistle unto them. And so he goes on just a little bit further. And notice what he said, though. He, he said this in the 15th verse. He said, take heed to your spirit. He will say that again in the 16th verse in a moment. But he said, take heed to your spirit. So let me say this to every person, no matter or not whether you've been married for 30 years, like Sherry and I, or you're newly married, or you're about to get married, or you're thinking about marriage. Maintaining a healthy marriage is a spiritual issue. That's a poor amen for such a profound point. Maintaining a healthy marriage, it's a spiritual issue. It's not just natural. It's not just the consummation of your marriage in the physical sense. Because listen to this. If you are genuinely healthy in your spirit, and what I mean by that is you're growing in grace. You've got the joy of the Lord. You're learning and maturing as a believer in Christ. Come on, you're walking in faith and you're walking in the spirit. Then your marriage will be the very first place to receive of that life and of that growth. Because I want you to hear this. Listen, a healthy marriage begins with sincere personal discipleship and devotion to Christ. There's a reason why that I love my wife as Christ loved the church or I strive to love my wife as Christ loved the church. You know why? Because God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I am moved by the love of God that was shed abroad on the cross. And with that love of God, now it's shed abroad in my heart. And I want to love my wife because I love her out of the revelation that God first loved me. Right there is the heart of discipleship. So real quickly again, so a healthy marriage begins with sincere personal discipleship and devotion to Christ his word to prayer and to worship. You didn't know that when you were reading the word and you were praying about a certain situation, it was still strengthening your marriage, even though you had a specific target for reading. Because again, as you read and you become a disciple and you begin to get the word down inside of you, it's changing your life. Let me say this. You cannot walk in the spirit and be mean-spirited and bitter. Listen, that's hypocrisy in the eyes of God. And if that's been you in the past, it doesn't need to be you in the future. 
Come on, you need to repent before God, and you need to learn that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And you need to speak kind words and gracious words that produce life. I love this real quickly. I'm going to make this statement, and then I'm going to pick it back up in a moment of time. Is that what are, listen, have many of you, have any, I've wondered if I polled those that are listening to me right now. And I'm not going to, but if I did, could you give me one passage of Scripture that speaks directly to you as a husband or you as a wife? Could you? Now, some of you could. But there are others of you that you might be in your Christian faith. You, say, you might say, well, I, it says something. I heard Pastor Brown mention something about, you know, but you've never gone to the Word. You've never gone to the Word and said, here's what God said to me. I'm a husband. Here's what God said to me. Or Sherry going to the Word and saying, this is what God said to me as a wife. Amen. And then we wonder why we are not coming together in unity the way that we should. But if the husband will do his part and the wife will do her part, marriage is not as complicated as it has to been made as it's been made out to be. So let me say there, let me give you a couple passages. Just I'll just I love the passage in Ephesians 5 that speaks about uh, husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave themselves for it, right? Comparing it to Christ and the church, and wives see that she reverence her husband or honor her husband, and, and there's the context of submission in there and all that, and you have to work that out in the context of your relationship. But prior to that, in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians is where the 17th verse where the apostle said this. He said, don't walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And from verse 17 all the way to verse number 32, the apostle gives just plain, just simple, practical means of just walking in the spirit. And oftentimes all we do is apply that to our life in the world, in the church world, in our community, in our workplace. It was Dr. Brassfield that taught about marriage several years ago that he took that passage of scripture and he related it to marriage and in that passage of scripture is where it says be ye kind one to the other tender-hearted loving one another forgiving one another speak words of grace and kindness what would our homes be like if moms and dads continually walked in that spirit right? why is it that we feel like that we should show our greatest anger and our greatest frustration to the person that God has entrusted for us to value. All right, I got to move on real quickly. So here's where God summarizes. I want you to hear this. I'm moving fast. I know some of you are saying, Pastor, I'm ready for the pile auction, so you better hurry up. 16th verse. So the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Now, as I say that, King James English says the putting away. Divorce has become way too common in our culture. Is that true? I'm being, just being honest. Now, as I'm preaching to you today, many here, you've gone through the pain of divorce. And I've walked with many of you down that difficult road. And I've seen you at your low points, and I've seen you at your high points. I've seen you go through the trauma, and then I've seen you go through a season of, of being cleansed and made whole and rebuilt and then built back up and entered into another marriage relationship. And I, and I thank God for that. I believe God's the God of new beginnings. And so, for, for some of you, divorce was deliverance from a painful, abusive, negligent marriage. But here's the reality. Many today are choosing divorce not because of infidelity, not because of abuse. 
or substance abuse. Because that's, 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 Paul was, he wasn't writing in a day of crystal meth. But, but, but you and I see that today. And so, so, so again, many today are choosing divorce, not just because of infidelity or physical uh, or, or deep, uh, you know, verbal abuse or, or substance abuse. Many are choosing divorce because of dissatisfaction. It's like get up in the morning and just say, well, I'm just kind of dissatisfied. A lack of attraction or unrealistic expectations of marriage or spouse. Here's what I'll say to this. Unholy fantasies are aided by Hollywood perversions that are leading men and women to fatigue with each other and pursue other interests. And then you know what we do? Then we choose what God hates. So if I can say anything before I close today to anybody under the sound of my voice that unless you are in such a traumatic situation in life that through counsel it's been exposed that there's infidelity or there's physical abuse or verbal abuse at the degree that is so deeply, you know, binding you up or, or, or that substance abuse, don't just get dissatisfied with the grass that looks greener on the other side of the fence. Find a way to recover the commitment that you made to your spouse. Find a way for the flame to leap up off the altar again, the altar of your heart. Find a way. Let me tell you what I believe love is. Love is a spiritual force. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. I choose to love. So I pray. I'm just being honest. The Bible, let me tell you, the, the only passage in Scripture, love at first sight. Let me tell you, Isaac was waiting for a wife, and Abraham's servant brought him a wife. And when he saw her, the Bible says he loved her. So God immediately created love in his heart for his wife. Let me tell you what you can do, husband. Let me tell you what you can do, wife. If you will come to the altar in all sincerity and you've been somewhere caught up in this right here and you've been thinking about divorce and you really don't have what we would call a true biblical reason for it, you're just simply being distracted or a lack of attraction or an unrealistic expectation. If you'll open your heart to God and be honest with God and say, God, I need you to create love in my heart for my spouse. I'm here to tell you today, the God of all love, the God who is love, can create love in your heart towards your spouse. And you can pray. You can pray, God, reconcile my heart to my spouse because I don't want to choose what, what God hates. Are y'all hearing me? Number nine, there's ten, now close. It says here, it covers one. They were divorcing their wives. And so it says, it's the same, it's covering one's garment with violence. Let me just explain that real quickly. He was saying, divorcing her is equal to doing violence to her. Because when that man in that time put her away, she didn't, she, she may have struggled financially. She may not have a home. She may not have any asset whatsoever, and he just put her away. And he said, what you're doing by putting her away is the same as if you kept her in the back room and you beat her up. Did you know a lot of times divorce in our culture today, it's, do, it's equal to doing violence on both sides, men and women. I'm just being honest, both ways in our culture. Number 10, lastly, he says this again, and this is what I say. Take heed to your spirit. 
Do y'all hear those words today? As your pastor, I don't just arrive at the conclusion of a, of a sermon text to choose. I pray. I believe God brought this passage to me to speak to you so that I could say to you, you need to take heed to your spirit. You need to realize that today maintaining your marriage is a spiritual issue. So don't deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. Come on now. Now, as I close and prepare to pray with this church family, I want to say this. In conclusion, I'm going to give you two nuggets that Leotis, the Reverend Brown, has gleaned from 30 years of marriage. Sherry, you may want to go back to the Family Life Center at this time. Three things just grew. Number one, the enemy can easily come in. He will come in. He targets marriages. The enemy does. I don't like to glorify the devil, deify the devil, lift him up on a pedestal. I don't, I don't, I don't even like to talk about him. But there is an enemy, and he targets marriages. He does. And he tries to divide and conquer the home. All right. Number two, marriage is growing like a garden, and it must be maintained. It must be maintained. You have to keep your garden. You have to till your garden. You have to work at improving your garden. The seed will work. God gives supernatural life to it, but you have to do your part. And in doing so, you got to hedge out the adversary. That's why you got to keep yourself. You got to lustful thoughts and imaginations. You got to pull them down. When you discern that you're under attack, you get accountability from someone else and you bind the devil and you spend time in prayer and you give no place to your adversary, the devil. Right. To, for what purpose? To keep your garden. And lastly, a healthy, fruitful, fulfilling marriage is the ongoing result or the byproduct, however you want to look at it, of you as an individual bending your will to the will of the Father. That's it right there. You say, Pastor, tell me one thing about uh, if you can have, if we, if we could deem, I don't know if we can. God may look down one day and say, Pastor Brown, your 30 years was not a successful marriage. But in this 30 years, if you could say, if, 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 if you would say, Pastor, you know, of your marriage, if you claim it's a success, what I would say, bend your will to the will of the Father. Because the Father, if I'm always bending my will to his will, not my will, but his will. Not how I feel, not what I want. I'm not saying there are not some ups and downs, highs and lows, some days when I mess up, stumble, do the wrong thing. But in my personal devotion and the Spirit of God convicts my heart and I realize that I've been in error, then I bend my will. That's what I'm exhorting you. Bend your will to the will of the Father. And when you do that, if you do that and your spouse is doing that, then you can come together and your marriage can be healthy and whole and you don't have to deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. And you will take heed to your spirit. Does that make sense? I want to ask everybody to stand up here with me. Daryl's joining me on the platform. We're getting ready to pray. I've been at this now for 30.